A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them up with. What you're doing down here, you Johnny man. Thanks very much for listening to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. I'm at Debit, Ken Early, and Kieran Murphy all here. Hello, Owen. How are you? Hey there, guys. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. When Chelsea signed up, Diego Costa in the summer I think most football fans were excited this guy looked like he had the mix of talent and aggression that was going to work well in the Premier League mm. I'm not sure any of us could have expected him to have quite this much of an impact to the point that he's already being described as the embodiment of a Jose Mourinho team we always remember this as the big Roy Keane thing with Alex Ferguson but I think it even took Keane a couple of years to become the embodiment of his manager on the pitch but that's what people are saying after his display of brute force against Liverpool on Tuesday night yeah I mean it was amazing really to watch Diego Costa, he is crazy. You know, that's the kind of feeling you had watching it. This guy is actually has, is nuts out there. And I mean, that's actually a word that Mourinho used to hear a little bit from Mourinho. He used it about somebody else. But uh, I was I, I was astonished by it. I mean, he um, he didn't actually have that great a game, Costa. He missed a couple of chances. It was a good save by Mignolet. A good tackle on him by Mignolet as well. I think it was Costa that Mignolet sort of yep. inadvertently tackled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god! And then managed to tackle him. Um, didn't score, but did stamp twice on opponents. And for one of those stamps, he's going to get banned for the Manchester City game. So this is uh, the Manchester Man City game is this weekend now. Okay, so maybe he's not going to get banned. Um, maybe the FA, having charged him. Uh, <laughs> will decide that it wasn't a real stamp. Uh, I think they will ban him. And so as a result, he misses um, one of Chelsea's Chelsea's biggest game remaining in their league schedule. Now, you see Diego Costa on, on the field um, doing his... Uh, I mean, the thing that you said on about... Say, for instance, when he had this tangle with Steven Gerrard. Oh, yeah, well, I haven't said this yet on, yet on Air Ken, so I'll say it now. Mm. What fascinates me about Costa is how he carries himself during these confrontations. 
his facial expression barely changes. The only reason you know he's being aggressive is that he's stamping on people and kicking them. But he doesn't, it's not like he has this, the, uh, we're always using Roy Keane as an example, he's not snarling, you know? You always hear Neil Lennon, Roy Keane, they, they snarl, you know? He doesn't really do that to the, to the same extent. He stays quite deadpan, which must be infuriating if you're the guy who's just been kicked by him or stamped on by him, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what he's, this is what he's I mean, it was clear that in the, in the Jared instance, what he was doing was trying to provoke Jared into getting sent off. And in the event, they both end up getting booked. But he sort of was, uh, they, they both landed on the ground and then Costa stopped Jared from getting up quickly. And then he kind of kept dragging at him. And then Jared turned and pushed him, which was clear, clearly a response to this provocation. But Costa uh, just stood there sort of I, I can't even describe what Smug, the... Smug, maybe? Would that be the... <laughs> something like that. Just a little kind of sneering face on him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to give me another one of those little old lady pushes again, are you? <laughs> and uh, and it's it's maddening to opponents. It really is maddening. But he never loses... He never seems to lose control. All of this... this he, he left this swathe of destruction on the field, all of which seemed to be totally in cold blood. He never loses control. Uh, the, I mean, the, the stamp on Emery Chan was, was a funny one because it was right in front of the benches. But the only man in the stadium, apart from Diego Costa and Emery Chan, who knew it had happened, I think was Jose Mourinho. But Mourinho, because he was standing right there and saw it, but immediately started oh, ranting and raving about something else, sort of pointing. Well, well, Rogers was about two yards away from it, but you could actually he see saw that he was it. looking yeah. straight out onto the field. He was looking a million miles from it. Now, I, I, he does kind of swagger around as if it's in cold blood. But I mean, the first incident we actually saw this was of him pushing Irishman, proud Irishman, proud Gale, Seamus, Seamus Coleman. Coleman. And he did kind of lose his cool with Coleman, I thought. Well, in that he was like mouthing at him that's quite he taunted, he taunted Coleman after Coleman had... Um, the temerity to tackle him. Had scored an own goal. Yeah. Ta- Coleman tackled him a few times and Costa didn't like Coleman can be an annoying player to play against, I'm sure. He's quite sort of tenacious in that annoying way. Why don't you? Why do you just stop tackling me and trying to get the ball off me? Um, so when he knocked in an own goal, Diego Costa took great pleasure in, in sort of swaggering past him, saying, "Oh, great own goal there!" <laughs> By the way, your team is actually kicking into the other goal. I don't know something along these lines. Costa Coleman didn't react, um, but Costa's trying to provoke all the time. And the problem is that it's—I uh, I mean, Mourinho talking about the stamp said, "Oh, complete accident, completely accidental." <laughs> the most deliberate stamps I think I've ever seen just totally clinical You're like I'm just going to step on your ankle now bang just exactly the way I did the last time funnily enough they're actually considering the skirtle one to be accidental right I think because it sort of happened at more speed but to me that was the more deliberate almost of the two it was like, maybe it's easier to prove the other one because it was so slow and deliberate yeah I mean it was the skirtle one was exactly the same as he had previously done he's like I'm going to do that again now um, but it, I mean, it's fine if you if you manage to get your opponent sent off, but all he's managed to do is effectively get himself retrospectively sent off, and he's going to miss the game against Chelsea, a game against City, rather, a game against uh, probably Everton as well. Um, that's not helpful, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing to have on the field. I mean, you can hear the Chelsea fans loving it. They were they were singing his name. I mean, it was he was really the only player they were singing for throughout the match. Uh, and he was maddening Liverpool, and he was he was having that kind of effect on the game. But ultimately, they lose him for a big game, and at the end of it, I'm not really sure that he's he's gained much out of it. Yeah, I don't want to make a blindingly obvious point, but he, the fact that he scored 17 Premier League goals does kind of change. 
how you think about him, you know, yeah. because like you'd be like, this guy needs to be kicked out of football <laughs> if he wasn't such a like really, really important, brilliant player for them. And he like he has played brilliantly this season, which makes it nearly. You know, it's, it elevates it to kind of high theatre, the fact that, you know, him swaggering around like a bully and behaving really rather terribly is, through the prism of him scoring 17 Premier League goals, yeah. actually really makes it really, really entertaining. That he's the <laughs> best player and also perhaps, you know, Yeah, you'd have a feeling if he wasn't scoring those goals, he'd be, probably wouldn't, be, uh, wouldn't even be tolerated by his manager. But we want to move on because we're going to talk to Philippe Beauclair regarding the FIFA presidency today. The nominations have to be in. Luis Figo is among the late... Entrance into that particular race, but I'm not sure Philippe thinks anyone has a chance of getting anywhere near old Sepp Blatter. And we're talking to Michael Walker about the old firm, uh, which is the first old firm derby. Uh, they're playing the weekend. It's the first old, old firm derby between Rangers and Celtic since Rangers were demoted this in the League Cup semi final. He's been spending some time uh, getting a sense of what they're both expecting there. So we'll get to that after Ken Erdy's report on sport. <laughs> Um, so I guess we might as well hear a little bit from Jose Mourinho. Uh, I mean, he he was uh, obviously delighted to have won that won the match, the semi final on Tuesday, which was a really good match, um, and sort of in the balance a lot more than you would have expected. Or really, Chelsea Chelsea should be maybe dominating those matches a bit more than they are. Instead, they're really taken to the wire by Liverpool. It's 120 minutes. They, they've got to play City on Saturday. So, not great, and I'm going to have to do so probably without Diego Costa. Um, here's what Jose Mourinho uh, had to say when people started asking about the stamp. You know, uh, I don't know what you understand by stamp. I think that maybe you are already influenced by... by I'm going to use a word that put me in trouble, uh, but I think this time I cannot be punished to say that there is a campaign on the television with a certain pundit that is, is saying Diego Costa crimes. This guy must be must be nuts. The guy that is saying that that must be nuts. That was with the with the sort of whoa, you know unscrewing the, his head. Now <laughs> uh, uh, that was uh, Jamie Redknapp he was talking about. Um, Jamie Redknapp didn't say Diego Costa crimes. That's what Sky put up was they showed Diego Costa's performance. I mean, it wasn't all crimes. There was uh, a penalty that he probably should have been given. That was the one moment in the game when he actually did lose his cool a little bit, when he realized he wasn't getting a penalty, and then he said, uh, I think Skirtle leaned over and said, You've, you, you know, stop diving. <laughs> and uh, Costa, Costa got a little bit angry at that. But um, apparently Jamie Redknapp is, uh, is, doing, is, the, is to the Premier League what Joe Brawley is to uh, Gaelic football. At least, you know, we, we were talking about Porig Duffy in the last uh, program. Joe Brawley just uh, dominating the agenda, campaigning on all of these issues. And Jamie Redknapp, at least according to Jose Mourinho, is doing the same thing, controlling everybody's mind. <laughs> I wonder who would win a verbal jest between those two warriors. Mourinho Joe, and... No, Joe Brawley and Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. It would. Uh, Jamie Redknapp, uh, not... not I, 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 I don't know what the history is with... with uh, Jose. Jose. He says, great campaign. We know how much that pundit loves Chelsea and particularly loves me. They're like, who, who are you talking about, Mourinho? You mean Jamie Redknapp, right? He says, I don't know his name because when I see him, I switch off the television. So, a little bit petty. The only but I mean, Jamie, Red- <laughs> Jamie Redknapp. Jamie Redknapp. Of all the- I would be glad to think Jamie Redknapp must be like, I'm, f- I'm relevant again. This is brilliant. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Or that's happened to me at least in the last six years since I've 
uh, started working on Sky. He's always been. Yeah. People have found me out to be a really good-looking guy in a suit. Mourinho has <laughs> made this point time and again that the he he feels there's a certain bias amongst the TV pundits, given that most of them played for Liverpool and some of them played for Man United. Mm. And you don't get too many ex-Chelsea heads there. Yeah, I mean he's Frank Lampard's cousin as well, so he's also suspect in that way. You know, Frank Lampard obviously uh, planted that Judas kiss on the face of Jose Mourinho before walking off to take his 30 pieces of silver from Manchester or New York, or is it Manchester City? So, you know, Redknapp's obviously, uh, that was a, that was an unfortunate uh, association for him. But, you know, to go to war with Jamie Redknapp is ridiculous. I mean, Mourinho does believe in conspiracy, you know. Of course they exist, as far as he's concerned. Of course, you know, there are plots of you know, cabals of high-ranking individuals who are trying to stitch things up behind the scenes. Of course. How else do you think the world is run? You know, that's that's the way that Mourinho looks at the world. Um, but in this instance, I'm not sure that Jamie Redknapp is as key a figure as he's as he's making out. And I'm not sure that he is the main reason why people why people's attention was drawn to the performance of Diego Costa. Diego <laughs> um, Costa is able to do that by himself. It's funny, you use the GAA uh, example there and over the years managers get really annoyed and t- players get really annoyed when their their crimes if there's a bad foul are highlighted on the Sunday game. Uh, th- it's a totally different issue though because oftentimes they'll argue, look, it just so happened the Sunday game had cameras at this at our match stuff like this was happening elsewhere and it's not being highlighted so yep. there's a, c- a certain selective element to it whereas with Diego Costa you're, like, you're starting from a base where everybody has seen the thing already yeah. and you're just looking for somebody to talk about it you're not, it's not a separate case of somebody highlighting he was going on about that when Essien hit, had a horror challenge a few years back as well oh Sky Sports News showing it 24 hours a day <laughs> so it's the only he had thing the exact number he had the exact number yeah. of times that the, Sky the had shown it in a one 24 hour period <laughs> well in, in one way actually the interesting thing about um about that, that, what Mourinho did was, uh, I mean, he's um, he, he did that press conference about two minutes after that thing had flashed up on the screen of Sky Sports. So either he'd seen it, I don't know, or he'd been told about it already in that time. You know what I mean? That's how that's how much he sort of. Um, I mean, he never stops. You know, he he never stops. It's why it's it's why he does become wearying after a while. I mean, you saw when the goal went in by Ivanovic. Mm. Mourinho didn't see it because he was complaining to the fourth official about Lucas not having been sent off. So Lucas committed a foul, could well have got a second yellow card, didn't. Um, Mourinho was going so mad about that that he was still complaining to the fourth official when the, when the ball was headed in. And it was only then the cheer. He sort of turned around, smiled slightly sheepishly, then thought, well, I can't. It's going to look ridiculous if I stop now. So he turned around and continued to berate the fourth official, and you just think, oh, he just he just never stops. Um, but evidently, you know, two minutes after that thing had appeared on Sky Sports, Mourinho was complaining about it. Um, he is assiduous, nothing if not assiduous. I was wondering if Brendan Rodgers was going to say much about it. He actually was quite restrained. Uh, he just said, you know, talked about it being sad. You know, for, that such a top player has to do these kind of things. Uh, he didn't. He said it was poor. Uh, he didn't. I felt. I feel he probably could have been a lot more. I mean, if, you wonder what Alex Ferguson would have done if it had been, you know, mm. Chelsea centre forward doing that to his team. Um, Mourinho still, though, you uh, well, you know, didn't like what Rodgers had to say. Um, I don't know if he learned something with me or not. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Um, but we are 
different people. He is what he is. He's a fantastic manager, but we are different people. Uh, and he talks about how, um, you know, Rogers essentially had double standards. You know, this is, he talks about red card we should have had. What about the red cards they should have had? He talks about our goalkeeper playing well. What about their goalkeeper playing well? You know. Um, so there you go. He's, yeah. uh, he's in the final anyway. Uh, against Tottenham, who, um, who managed to beat Sheffield United with another uh, late goal by Ericsson, who's got a really happy knack for this. Four times he's done it now this season. And uh, scored after the 88th minute, I think. So, and we we should probably mention that uh, football's night of shame on Tuesday night between Chelsea and Liverpool was an unbelievably entertaining game. Oh, it was brilliant! <laughs> eh? It was actually one of the one of the best football games I've seen. Oh, all year. Uh, seven Brazilians involved. In the Although game maybe well. not the best game of the weekend. If people saw Atletico Madrid against Barcelona last night. Yeah, well, Rogers said. Uh, Rogers said one thing after the game because they were arguing on the bench, Mourinho and, and himself. And he said, "Look, you know, it's a big game between two very competitive men. Sometimes the chimp comes out, you know." So referring to this, the Steve Peters uh, idea of the chimp. Speaking of the chimp, um, there was quite a lot of this on show at Atletico Madrid against Barcelona. One of the most amazing things I'd ever seen happen uh, on a on a field just one of the most bizarre things i mean what was the incident that ended david beckham's career at manchester united that was the pretty boot. pretty weird right yeah now we saw that happen on the field arda turan so angry with the linesman's decision that he his boot has come off in the move he picks his boot off the ground and throws it as hard as he can at the linesman misses the linesman by a considerable distance but I'm thinking I've I've never seen anything like that before. Well, that's obviously a red card. It's not a it's not a red card. It's just a well, you know, there's a, you better put your boot back on because we're we're going to restart the game. It was incredible. How, how can you not get sent off? Surely that? that's more violent than Decanio pushing a referee over, which is not really going to hurt the ref. Well, it could have because he fell slightly awkwardly and could have easily twisted his ankle. Mm. But yeah. that boot, as we saw with David Beckham, that catches you flush in the face. You're in a bit of bother. Yeah, I mean, you know, Turan. I mean, I wondered, is he really, is he actually throwing that with the linesman or this person sort of on the sideline further back, you know, because he missed by miles. But it was insane. It was just absolutely insane. You can't do that. Seriously. But the referee, maybe the referee didn't see it and the linesman was too scared to say anything. I don't know. But he, did, he it, didn't get sent off. It seemed no to be manage. another, yeah, but it, it seemed to be another testy enough game between these teams. I saw the... Uh, well, the Gabby w- got sent off at halftime in a, in a bust up, like a tunnel fight, you know what I mean? And he's a huge player for Atletico Madrid. So the first game, first half rather, was, was a brilliant match. Torres again scoring in the first minute and uh, then Barcelona eventually going in 3-2 up at halftime. But there's a big punch up in the tunnel. Gabi gets sent off and, you know, he can't, they lose their most important midfielder. Mm. Um, there was a vine doing the rounds this morning of... I can't remember which the, uh, which of the Atletico players it was, but Neymar had a free kick and he's shooing away the Atletico players. Just give me a bit of space here. Oh, yeah. You're supposed to be 10 yards away. <laughs> and then one of them... So annoying. One of them just turned to him and gave him the 7-1 signal. <laughs> not, not a German player, obviously. Just uh, yeah, one yeah. of the many... One of the football fans around the world who remembers the 7-1 defeat that Neymar's Brazil suffered at the hands of Germany. In fairness, Neymar wasn't even played. No, Neymar no. wasn't there. Yeah, he was, yeah. he was innocent of that. And, was, you know, if it's a Spanish player, then you've got a cheek, <laughs> seven quite one. frankly. That's good, though. They keep saying that to Neymar. Neymar scored two goals. Uh... Two really good goals, actually. Um, uh, one, he's playing fantastically well at the moment. One of them set up for him by Suarez. Uh, just looking at compa- comparing his 
figures from this season and last. It's kind of you can see how different um, how different everything is from now. I mean, last year he's he's having five and a half shots a game. Uh, this year, two and a half. He's having nearly twice as many dribbles as well per game last season. Uh, 7.2 as against 4. Uh, a third again as many passes. Five times as many through balls. This is last season when he's playing for Liverpool. It kind of shows how much more central or how much more responsibility he's taken. You know, if you're going to try dribble the ball all the time or try risky through balls a lot, you're the you're a guy who's taking responsibility. Um, I mean, you remember the way that he would treat, say, Raheem Sterling or Daniel Sturridge mm. if they failed to pass him the ball when he felt he was well positioned. You know, they would hear all about it. Yeah. They would hear, I was in a good position, Raheem, Daniel, whoever, and I think you should have given me the ball. And he's just not doing that anymore. He's just so deferential now. It doesn't suit him at all. You know, Messi gets the ball. You're not going to ask for the ball from Lionel Messi. I mean, he must oh, you know, over here. But, you know, if he doesn't get it, he's not going to complain. If you need me. Yeah, I'm, free, I'm, I'm, free if you, I'm here. I've, if I mean, I'm, I've actually got the entire penalty box to myself. But if you want to slap me through a pass at some point, you could. You know, free kicks as well. Took so many free kicks uh, last season. Scored quite a few. Just doesn't ask to take the free kicks. It just doesn't happen. Even if Messi, Messi misses two free kicks, even then it's not a case of, oh, you know, I think I might maybe, what if I had it? I think Messi just turns around and says, well, I'm better than you. So what's the point? What would be the point of me letting you take this when everybody knows I'm better than you? That's probably as a way of ending the argument. Yeah. Jeremy Mathieu, the the uh, French defender, I don't know if he is yet to understand how this whole Barcelona dressing room works, but after the match uh, last night, uh, spoke to RMC, uh, French media, and said, uh, yeah, Messi did have a big bust-up with, uh, with Luis Enrique training. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was basically over a foul that wasn't given in the training match, and uh, Leo just blew his top. Things got really tense. They said a few things to each other. But, of course, um, us being Barcelona, mountains are always being made out of molehills. <laughs> you know? And the thing is, Barcelona had denied this had happened. Totally denied that it had happened. That, you know, Messi had mistrained because of gastroenteritis. And then there was no bust-up at all with Luis Enrique. And they got on really well. And Matt, there's Matthew saying, yo, yeah, I mean, we were all like, oh, and the, uh, Remember the jabby... Uh comment a couple of days before the gastroenteritis yeah. story came out Xavi yeah. said that this is code for something else is going on here so it seems like it, it's just it's a small thing but it's symptomatic of what's going on at Barcelona at the moment off the field it just seems to be complete chaos there's nobody really in charge of any media messages it just no. seems to be madness they need, a, they need a media manager to get all of their lies in a, in a row basically but, for, but for now Murph you're, yeah. you're happily employed here. <laughs> listen it would be a dream to work for Barcelona <laughs> well that's normal well, you know, that's well normal. that's normal but, I mean, I don't know where these rumours are coming from. You know, I don't know why you guys keep asking me these questions. But, yeah. for now, I'm a second People are always going to link yeah. you with jobs. They are, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, to reaf- it would be a dream. Murph could do with Balotelli's agent, Ken. Yeah, Mino Royal. Now, Mino Royal has confirmed he's not going to stand for FIFA president. That was his thing last week. He was, he was considering standing for FIFA president. This is the agent of... Uh, <laughs> Zlatan, we all remember. Zlatan, from, from Paul book. Pogba, and so on. Uh, uh, a big, fat man. Mm. Um, who is with a big fat eagle? Yeah, and a big fat bank account. <laughs> Probably a number of bank accounts in different <laughs> jurisdictions, I imagine. Um, but uh, Mino says, of all the champions I've dealt with, I've never managed one who has suffered more injustices than Mario. 
People don't know him. The truth is, Mario is an insecure lad, and due to this insecurity, he tends to do some ridiculous things. Sorry, but everybody knows that about Balotelli. I mean, it's not as though Balotelli is a, an example of a mentally strong, you know, a, a player with bulletproof confidence. I mean, anybody who's seen him play at any point in the last three years, it's like, what, hap- what happened to this guy? Yeah. <laughs> he just completely forgot how to play football. He's a disaster. No, nobody thinks he's he's a secure lad. Everybody has pity for Balotelli now. You know, that's this. I've always been one who wanted to make my players happy. Um, with everybody else, I've always done things my way, but not with him. I need my mum and my friends in Italy, he said. And being a father myself and wanting him to be happy, I took him back to Italy from Manchester City. I should have told him, you're not going back to Italy. City are a big club. They'll always support you. This is the football that matters, and you want out of it. So he's saying it was a mistake to bring him to... Milan. He's the kind of player who can change a game in two or three moments, so they've got to adapt to him, and he's got to adapt to them. He's talking about Liverpool now. Liverpool are different to other clubs. They can't afford to have ten players doing all the running for one superstar. <laughs> I, tell, I said to you on Monday, uh, you've got a four-year contract here. I'm not taking you anywhere else. Either you leave Liverpool for 60 or 70 million euros and I win my bet, or you will die there. It's the first time I've spoken in such a way to a player. I saw him relax, changed, and different to how he was at Milan. He was used to everybody liking him and finding a room wherever he was. It's not like that at Liverpool. Either you do as they say or you're out. You're out. This period is the biggest lesson he's had. His private life has come down, blah, blah, He's applying himself. He's still a complete disaster. You know, he came on the other night um, in the, the Chelsea match. Yeah. And, and It was the most successful attempt to break the internet since uh, Kim Kardashian. Is oh. what I would describe Balotelli's performance on Tuesday. Uh, just, just really bad, pitifully bad, you know. I mean, the guy just hasn't a clue what he's what he's doing. He's he, he's not a he he doesn't help the team get the ball back when the team has the ball. He doesn't do anything with it. Um, his shooting is a disgrace. He's the worst shooter in that team. You know, Lucas Leiva. He makes Lucas Leiva look like. You know, Rivellino, Dave the Jackal, that that that, <laughs> that quality of shooting. Yeah, he is ridiculous. Quick word on the FIFA president presidential race because we're going to get into that in a moment with Philippe. I just want to mention that I forgot to say Mino Raiola called. He said Pep. It was, he's talking about. He went on talking about Zlatan. And he said it was a mistake for him Ibrahimovic to leave Inter, but it was his dream to go to Barca. He followed that dream. Guardiola is a jerk as a person, but he is a great coach. Um, just to get that out there, you know, yeah. Pep Guardiola is a jerk, says me. At least he didn't mention his bald head. I'm sick of the anti-bald bias that was, coming from yeah. the Zlatan camp. Sickening. <laughs> Sickening on. Yeah. Disgraceful. FIFA? FIFA, yeah. Figo is is involved in the um, FIFA uh, presidential race. He's declared that he's he's going to go. Then, okay, so today is the last day for nominations. You have to get five football associations around the world to nominate you to write, write a letter saying, yeah, we back this guy's candidacy. To stop, you know, time wasters getting involved. Um, uh, such as, I don't know, David Ginola. We don't know. Maybe he will have five associations backing him. But Figo says he's already got it. Uh, he joins Michael van Prague, who's the president of the Dutch Football Association, Prince Ali of Jordan, uh, Sepp Blatter, obviously, and Jerome Champagne as the apparently credible candidates. Or when I say credible candidates, I don't necessarily mean possible winners. I mean potential winners. I mean guys who will probably actually be on the ballot paper when the election is held in May. All right, the Sienna Kennedy's report on sport.
Japan, Eric Cantona has jumped in and sees a kung fu kick. A fan, Manchester United fans are coming across. I have never seen as disgraceful an incident as that in all my years in football. Eric Cantona should be thrown out of the game for that sort of incident. I care not one jot about his supreme talent. He launched himself six feet into the crowd and kung fu kicked a supporter. Continue with that story now. Philippe Beauclair joins us to talk about the, uh, as Ken described it there, the closure of the uh, nominations. Uh, officially, this happens today, Philippe, and six candidates. Well, I was about to say there are five candidates. There are six candidates involved if you count David Ginola. Do you count Ginola? Not really, no. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go for five. Yeah, we'll say yeah. five then. Are any of them realistically, and there's a couple of late bolters here, uh, Luis Figo amongst them, are any of these people realistically going to uh, defeat Sepp Blatter? No. Um, absolutely none of the candidates um, who uh, still have to wait, of course, for um, Domenico Scala and, and FIFA to, to sanction their candidacy uh, have the slightest chance of uh, beating Seb Blatter in the present circumstances. Um, normally, the most serious candidate would have been uh, Prince Ali, um, you know, given his, his position uh, within uh, FIFA already, as he's a member of the executive committee, though not probably for very long. Um, but you cannot see any of those uh, candidates, provided they can get the letters of support, of course, uh, garnering the necessary support from the confederations uh, to, um, well, to manage to oust Seb Blatter, who's already got, uh, you know that he's got tremendous support uh, from the African Confederation, uh, from the Asian Confederation, uh, from South America, from CONCACAF. Um, so you, you, can, you cannot see how somebody who would be seen as a representative of UEFA, because that's basically what the other candidates are, um, could succeed in, in, uh, in taking Sepp Blatter's place in, in May. Well, what about uh, Prince Ali? Uh, would he be seen as a, as a representative of UEFA? Um, he's um, perceived to be one, even though he obviously comes he's from, he's from Jordan and he's a you know, member of the uh, uh, Asian Confederation. But um, it there's not much doubt in anybody's mind that Prince Ali is if you don't mind the expression, the kind of submarine for, uh, for UEFA or certain people within UEFA. Uh, one of the first people who actually declared himself in favor of Prince Ali was Michel Platini, um, which is not a coincidence, believe me. Uh, but he does not have the, the support of his own confederation, who've only uh, already decided uh, and made it public that they will support Seb Blatter for another four years. Uh, he will have some support from within UEFA, but this support will be diluted as well, because as you've seen, there's also the, the chairman of the Dutch uh, Football Federation is now a runner, and a serious runner, that is, one who can des- def- definitely pass the hurdle of the letters of support. And um, it's hard to see any other regions of the world in which uh, Prince Ali could, uh, uh, could gather the votes needed to, uh, to, to beat Sir Blatter. Uh, that seems, you know, 105 votes, I don't think you will ever get that. Um, also, he's very young by FIFA standards, of course, quite inexperienced by FIFA standards. Um, he's seen as a reformer, which both a help and a hindrance, uh, depending on the region you're, to, you're talking about. So, no, I mean, obviously, he was at the beginning the main candidate, the main opponent. 
Um, but the fact that he's seen within the football world very much as somebody who was pushed to declare his candidacy by UEFA is not going to help him at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of slightly taken aback by your certainty about this, that there's, nobody can beat uh, Sapphire. I mean, I wonder why uh, guys like Michael van Prague, okay, hardly a household name, but, you know, an experienced football administrator, mm-hmm. a guy who, who knows uh, football politics, I guess, and Luis Vigo, who is a household name, a former uh, World Player of the Year, um, you know, why, why they would throw their hats in the ring at this stage if they had absolutely no hope of victory? Um, there are several, um, several explanations. Um, some of them are generous, some of them are perhaps a little bit more um, skeptical. Um, uh, I would say that in the case of Michel, Michael van Praag, uh, it's a bit of a surprise, especially since Michael van Praag had been approached, I think, by some people at UEFA. Um, a few months ago, um, who were putting pressure on him to declare himself as a kind of stalking horse. I mean, a candidate who does not have any hope of being elected, but who can serve as a focus for the anti-Blatter sentiment within UEFA and within FIFA at large. And he seemed to have backed down from that. And surprisingly, honestly, this is a candidacy. I can tell you, nobody was expecting, last week, nobody was expecting Mr. Van Praag to to declare himself as a candidate. Uh, He got the support. So obviously, it was something very well prepared. But in the utmost, with the utmost discretion, and he got his six letters of support. We already know who supported him, amongst them the Scottish FA. Um, but it, 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 honestly, it is a bit like going over the top, knowing full well that you've got machine guns aimed at you and that they're not going to miss you. So it, it is a strange one. Uh, it, one of the explanations is that there's a, a will to dilute the anti-Blatter sentiment, as in everybody who's been declaring themselves, apart from Jérôme Champagne, about whom we should have a quick chat, um, everybody uh, has, is basically running a candidacy on change and against uh, Mr. Blatter. What? Uh, be- yeah. Well, what's Champagne's policy then? I know your uh, Champagne's policy. Yeah, I know you're meeting him. Um, he's hanging around Paris. You're going to have a, yeah. a chin wag with him today. What's his, uh, what's his M.O.? Well, um, he's, um, he's independent. He's from uh, without the family. He was uh, himself um, ousted from the family, uh, of course, brackets uh, of FIFA uh, in 2010 uh, before things started to go really downhill. Um, um, and he's an independent candidate. And what's, what makes him stand apart is that, first of all, he's got a very detailed program, which he's been uh, presenting to all 209 federations for the past year now, for exactly a year, as a matter of fact, um, and that he's got a, a, repu- a reputation of utter integrity uh, within the game, and as well that he's not the, represent- the representative of a particular confederation, which is one of the big, big, big problems. So you could say he's, of all the candidates, um, the one who's got the most substance in terms of program. On the other hand, uh, in terms of political power, he doesn't wield any at the moment. He's got loads of friends within uh, the federations because he still works. Um, he works for the Palestine Federation. He works for the Cypriot Federation, for the Kosovo Federation. He still maintains an awful lot of contacts within, within the game. On the other hand, he doesn't represent the confederations. And one of the reasons why I'm so sure that Seb Blatter will be uh, the next president of FIFA is that you should never underestimate uh, the power of the confederations, uh, which is one of the ills of the game, really. Those confederations push their agendas um, without any scruple, and everybody's got to toe the line. Um, and uh, so, for example, you hear um, uh, the, the Asian Confederation will support the person who's been supporting them. Um, the Africans will be supporting the president who's been supporting them for all these years, i.e. Sepp Blatter. And you cannot turn that boat, that huge cargo ship, uh, regardless of where it's heading. And uh, Champagne is, is the, the odd one out. 
Uh, I sincerely thought at one point that he was a genuine alternative, and I think that um, people were belittling his, his candidacy, uh, taking him uh, not seriously enough. Uh, his ideas are, should be taken very seriously, but I'm afraid that unless uh, something happens, uh, he won't be able to, to get the, the five letters of support, mm. uh, which will enable him uh, to run for candidate. And the astonish, astonishing thing, which should be known, is that should he get these five letters of support, believe me, Jean Champagne will get more votes than somebody like Van Prague. That's, that's the way democracy works at, within FIFA. I guess one of the people uh, you're talking about who aren't taking that seriously, or, uh, you know, it's, it's the Daily Mail's uh, columnist Charles Sale, um, frequently well-informed man in sports mm-hmm. uh, news affairs. Uh, he's, he's been saying some fairly nasty things about uh, Champagne in the last couple of days, uh, describing him the other day as Blatter's stooge candidate. Uh, today he says uh, that Jerome Champagne uh, may uh, will actually get the five the necessary five nominations because Sepp Platter will effectively give them to him will arrange the five nominations because he wants to have a friendly rival in the race so what, what, do you, what would you make of Charles say where is he getting this idea um, I'd be very interested to know it because um, he's utterly wrong. Um, certainly the second, I can tell you that uh, that, that for sure that it's not Seb Blatter who is going to find uh, the uh, the letters of uh, support for Jérôme Champagne. He, he might get them. We don't know. They're still, you know, it's all frantic at the moment. It's a bit like the last... Uh, the last uh, negotiations before the, um, you know, uh, the vote to, to, to designate a, a World Cup host. It's completely frantic what's happening at the moment. Phone calls, meetings, everywhere, everywhere. And it might be that he will get those five letters. I, I'm, I'm not too sure about it. But if he gets them, it will have nothing to do with the fact that Seb Blatter will have uh, put a word in the ear of, I don't know, the uh, president of um, Federation X uh, to say, well, by the way, support Jerome because I want a friendly uh, rival. Um, the thing is that the, the reason why... Charlie might say that is that um, Champagne has, has always refused to uh, fall in the trap FIFA is evil and, um, and, and to run that as a kind of pro- an alternative to, to a program which is honestly ridiculous and uh, it, why, why could he and how could he do such, do such a thing when he's been a high ranking official within FIFA for a, a number of years and was actually you could say number three of the organization before there was a coup against him because he was seen as being too much of a reformer, too much of a, a man who wanted to make things move on with the times and so on. Um, so I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't put much credence in, in that. Philippe, uh, just lastly, you mentioned Michel Platini earlier on and who yeah. he, he wants to run against Sepp Blatter. Why doesn't he run against, why doesn't he just grab the bull by the horns here and run against Blatter himself? He's because got friends he around the world. Chance. Because no? he hasn't got any chance. No, 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 he hasn't got any chance. Michel Platini is seen, uh, Michel Platini is UEFA, right? UEFA is seen as the other, by the other confederations as the great Satan. Uh, they, they want, they, they think all the other confederations want an extra berth at the World Cup, for example, which is, of course, when you talk about FIFA, when you talk, you talk about the World Cup. So uh, Michel Patini wouldn't stand a chance. He knew it. He wisely decided to stay at UEFA. But what he's done is that he's done. What he's supporting is the idea of people who can speak for UEFA who do not stand a chance of being elected, but whose careers are not going to be ruined uh, uh, by the fact uh, that they were not elected. And, by the way, I mean, you've heard uh, Mr. Van Praag uh, say that uh, should he be elected, 
which is implausible, but who knows, uh, he would only stay in place for four years, then opening uh, the way for succession, and I think his successor would be found within UEFA at the very top of it. So I think it's just a political choice done by Michel Platini. Um, also, I, I haven't seen any program by Monsieur Platini um, regarding FIFA. Uh, the, the UEFA and FIFA have been at loggerheads for a number of years now. There's hardly any dialogue between the two organizations. I wouldn't say it's war, but it's not very far from it at times. And Michel Platini is not stupid. He doesn't want to run the risk of being humiliated uh, in, in, in a, you know, a, a duel against Seb Blatter when he knows full well that of the uh, confederations, only UEFA would come in his favour. That okay. would be suicidal. All right, Philippe Auclair in Paris, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know, Ken. I, sometimes in life, right? If, I, if Michel Platini was sitting here, say, instead of Kieran Murphy, mm-hmm. I'd say, Michel. Yes. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> There'd be a lot of pleasantries. It's, and then real, I, it's real honour to meet you. And then I'd put, guys, it, I'd put it to you, Michel. Sometimes in life you have to fight, even if you know you're going to lose. We've all seen Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, We've yeah. all seen Paul Newman displaying that bravery that ultimately won the respect of that big beast that he was fighting. Remember this scene? Mm. He, he, he just the eggs. No, not the eggs. No, he, no, he's no, a, the physical, he's a physical fight with the, the sort of uh, alpha male of the group. And he knows he's going to lose. Yeah. But he knows he has to fight. <laughs> and he imagine. gets beaten around the place for about an hour and a half and eventually falls into the arms of this guy and becomes his best mate. <laughs> I can imagine Michel Flatini just over lunch eating that many eggs. <laughs> just, just, just um, you know... Just as nibbles, mm. you know, uh, he's a man who can. Should I deny that on if they were qua- quail? No, he's gone there. No, okay. Michelle's gone there. It's okay. quail. You did a great job, though. <laughs> Ortolan, you know, yeah. um, one of those kind of scenes. No, um, look, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember where we were. I was just thinking about Michelle Platini eating eggs. I, I well, I think he's probably fair enough to hold off. There will be a new reality soon. Sepp Blatter is 94 years old. <laughs> so, there well, won't be a new reality soon. The new reality was supposed to be Sepp now. Sepp Blatter is not 94. Sepp Blatter was supposed He's to step away. Sepp Blatter had by He's all accounts... 77, I Sepp Blatter, Blatter... 78. Sepp Blatter by all accounts... 79 in, uh, in March. Sepp Blatter had by all accounts <laughs> promised Michel Platini that he, had be, he would have stepped away by now. This was supposed to be Michel's time. Mm. Blatter's not stepping away. Platter's going to die in that job. Well, no, probably. Well, that's, that's, that's but what his, I'm saying is that's his dream. Yeah, yeah. Platini should wait it out. I mean, he's probably like Platter has already exceeded the life expectancy of a male in most of the Western world. He's a healthy looking man, though. No, I don't know. Uh, Platini's six fifty nine. Played a lot of years for he's Juventus. Got twenty. He's got twenty years. Played a lot of years for Juventus. Ate a lot of eggs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I still reckon. You know, Pladney should just play the long game here. We've another podcast out today, another new one. It features US Murph's Super Bowl plans. He's going to a Super Bowl party. That Doug and Lisa's, yeah, he's going Doug to and Lisa's Lisa. Super Bowl party. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me, but he's going. And Tommy Walsh and his return to Kerry. Also, a bit of a chat about Joe Brawley's dominant position within the world of GA commentary. We mentioned that one in, in passing on this particular podcast. Rangers Celtic this weekend is on Hamden Park because it's a League Cup semi-final. Uh, Rangers, of course, still struggling to get back to the top league in Scotland. Michael Walker's going to be at this one for the Irish Times. It's the first time, Michael, that they've played each other since Rangers were demoted. And I know you spent a bit of time in Glasgow ahead of this one. You're writing up a piece for the Irish Times this weekend as well. Um, Is there any inkling of any sympathy from Celtic supporters at this stage for Rangers? Uh, I think you'd, I think you'd have to search hard for that. Um, no, I, I, I don't see any of that. There was the uh, newspaper advert last Sunday, 
um, from a section of Celtic fans, you know, um, outlining their belief that Rangers, um, you know, died in their words in um, uh, 2012, and that uh, this is a new company, and that this is the first game of the uh, of a new era between the two clubs. It is not part of a continuum, and that is quite a strongly held belief by those. You know, well, it's held very strongly by those who believe it. Alternatively, there are those who just say, "No, it's not that. It's still the same Rangers support, still the same Rangers, you know, um, jersey. It's all, you know, the, the paraphernalia around Rangers is still the same. It's, it may have had a change of identity in terms of company um, uh, registration and whatever, but it's, it's still Rangers, and there will, st- you know, I would imagine that if Celtic win as expected, the celebrations will be as." Um, as sincere as whenever they were beating the old Rangers. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems to me fairly clear that a football club is the community that it represents, or the community that goes to see it. And this is Rangers. I mean, <laughs> they had to they they engaged in a lot of creative accounting, and they further accounting procedures had to happen, uh, and they got busted down a couple of divisions, but. This is still the same club playing in the same blue in the same Ibrox Stadium, watched by the same people. Maybe not singing the same songs they've been singing all along because those songs are illegal now. But it's Rangers. Yeah, I, I think to, to I've spoken to you know like Rangers fans, and that is very much their opinion. It's the same entity is the phrase that you hear. You know, it's the same entity that I go to watch that I've been to watch for years. That's what they say. Um, and so, and and you can understand that. I I I I understand that perspective. I I understand the Celtic argument more about financial doping than I than I do. I I think personally, I would have more sympathy with the financial doping argument than with the new company. Is it different? Is it the same company? Is it the same club? That kind of differentiation that's being made. Um, if you if you take the financial doping as an issue, then I think some Celtic fans, those who believe it, are entitled to think, well, lots of those trophies that Rangers won were won using money they didn't have, and that if Celtic or Aberdeen or any other club had employed the same accountancy, um, they might have done the same. So I, get, I, I can see that, I can, and... And that then very quickly translates into an English argument then about Manchester City and Chelsea and where do you you know where do you stop and then you go on to Real Madrid etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it's it, that's part of that bigger argument which I, I actually have I, I think you can have some you know I think most ordinary football fans would have some sympathy. With yeah, that. I mean absolutely. I mean at least in the case of I mean what Manchester City do might be financial doping, but at least they haven't obtained the money by defrauding. The tax man. So I mean, it's crime more than financial doping. Even what what Rangers were involved in. That's pretty obvious. But say, for instance, um, Fiorentina. Something a bit like the, this happened to them um, twelve years ago, I think. Right. Uh, they went bankrupt. Uh, they ceased to exist. A new club was established, playing at the same stadium, similar kind of a name. They considered themselves to be the old Fiorentina. They, they certainly are the same Fiorentina that won two Serie A titles and however many Coppa titles. None of them since they were re-established in their new form, but they, they still lay claim to the history. Yeah, I, and I, I think that the, those, that is how, very much how, it, how it's seen. Um, I, don't know if there, if, I don't know if there's a difference with Juventus, whether, you know, people, what people feel about, uh, you know, 
their situation in in Italy. Um, but I, you know, you can you can see the you can see the argument. Um, and but the, what's interesting is that this is just it is dominated the last you know it's dominated the the, the build up. This is it old old co or sevco. That's the sort of argument about you know which Rangers is it, and then. But I think that will quickly be overtaken um, when the game starts, because then you will see that this Rangers is actually a new entity in one sense, in that the players are just nothing like the calibre that Rangers were once able to buy. And that will become apparent quite quickly, I would imagine, uh, unless they really lift their, unless they lift their game to a, a, you know, a different level. I went to Hibs v Rangers, um, at Christmas and at Easter Road, and I mean Rangers were unrecognisable. You know whether you, whether, no matter what you feel about that club, Rangers were absolutely unrecognisable from what they had been. You know this is a club who were in the Europa League final in, in 2008, who won, who were in the Champions League in 2011. So you've got, but but they were they were played off the park by Hibs in the second division of Scottish football. And Hibs aren't great. Um, so if that becomes apparent on, on Sunday, what you will then have is... I, I, think it, I think then the discussion may change because if, if Celtic play to their potential and Rangers don't play to whatever they can do, then it might be the drubbing that people think and that people are expecting. Michael, uh, just... I mean, you've outlined it there how far off the pace Rangers still are they're 13 points behind actually in the, in the championship so it's not as yeah. though they're marching back into the, the SPL They'll, as things stand they'd be in a playoff for promotion uh, only one goes up automatically but if you could put a number on it how many years away do you think Rangers are now from possibly competing with Celtic uh, on anything like a level playing field um, well it might just be a year you know, the, you know Rangers might I, I think if you look at that division, the champ- Scottish Championship, then Hearts should win it. Rangers and Hibs are the next two strongest clubs. They might go in, they, you know, they might fight out a playoff, and Rangers might win it. You, you just don't know. However, if Rangers don't win it, then the situation at the club in terms of takeover and boardroom becomes decisive. And if, as you, as Rangers fans fear, but you know, their their worst fears might come true, and it might be Mike Ashley who takes over the club. Then Mike Ashley has a decision then about the product on the pitch, you know, and he understands product um, up to a point, and he would know that he would have to put some money into the club and into the team to get the product on the pitch um, up to a standard where where the fans want to come back and watch it. And then, then if they did come up, um, say not say not this May, but May 2016. If they did come up then and they started again in August um, 2016 in in the SPL as we know it still, even though it's been changed to the Scottish Premiership, um, we then then it might be then that Rangers come back and then they might be competitive because actually if you spend five million pounds or less perhaps in in transfer fees in Scotland you will be very competitive. I mean, Owen started off asking about sympathy and 
evidently that's that's not yet forthcoming from Celtic fans if it ever will be. I mean, I do have a bit of sympathy, Michael, I have to say, for the for the Rangers fans who, okay, they were glorying along with everything the financially doped team was achieving, but they weren't ultimately making the criminal decisions that was that you know that the board at that stage. Uh, we're guilty of. Uh, and they are the ones, nevertheless, who are being punished. I mean, do you think that this whole episode, which, remember, over the over the time, it's not just Rangers' gates have collapsed. Celtics are down um, a third uh, on what they were um, back in the in the sort of old firm days. Has this, has anything good come of this at all, apart from the fact that Rangers are no longer able to go on? You know, it's, it's clearly good that their criminal activity was punished. But has anything else good come of it, uh, of, of this sort of whole episode? Has... has can you see Scottish football being in any way having been improved by what it's been through over the last couple of years? Uh, I don't. I don't know if you could say it's been improved, but what you might say in in twelve months from now, you might say that Aberdeen should be twelve. You know, if if Aberdeen continue to progress at their current rate, they should they they'll be twelve months better, and they should have strengthened. Um, Dundee United, you would like to think would. Um, uh, continue to sort of improve. Uh, Hearts, under their new ownership, have bottomed out and will be back and might be a force. So in terms of um, democracy, the democracy of Scottish football, you can say that some good might come of it. It might be a bit early to say that at, at this point that it's already happened, that some good has come of it. But if in the long run, you know, say three or four more years, you see stronger East Coast clubs, which is about time, you know, because they, they haven't contributed very much since the mid-1980s or the early 90s. You, you, just, you know, you, you, then something good might have come of it because people, people at Aberdeen and in, in Dundee and in Edinburgh should see this as an opportunity. But then you, you, you think that, and yet Hearts are in the second division. Hibs get relegated disastrously last year. You know, and you, and you you think how badly mismanaged are these clubs that they can't take advantage of this opportunity, which is once in a lifetime for them. So if that if they get their act together, and Aberdeen have if they but if they continue um, to sort of progress at a, a reasonable level, then you might find a more democratic um, league with more variety, and that in itself would be welcome, because then you won't have this old firm dominance. However, you know, if Rangers come back up in, say, the May after this, um, then, then there is an issue then of who owns it, what do they want out of it, and how do they go about getting it. Yeah, OK. Michael, brilliant stuff. Listen, look forward to reading the, the piece you have in the Irish Times on Saturday. Thanks for chatting today. OK, no problem. Thanks. You were at Ibrox yourself fairly recently, Ken, and I think you shared Michael's uh, observations and this just just being a bit of a, uh, a grim setup. I went, went to see them against Alloa, and actually the guy, um, their best player in that game was little guy Lewis McLeod, who was a young, uh, like Scotland international, or he was kind of in training with the Scottish squad, or whatever, and they've sold him now to someone really small, Grimsby or somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not the kind of player... Uh, not not the kind of club. I'm trying to remember where Lewis McLeod went. I'll see if I can find that out for you. Um, he no, they've sold him to Brentford. So not the kind of team that would usually be able to poach the best players, the best young Scottish footballers from Rangers. But that's what they did. 
Uh, he was the best player that Raiders had in that game by a long way. He's obviously gone now. Um, they've got Mike Ashley now. He, it looks as though he's going to be the man in charge. And they probably deserve him. Um, after what they did the previous 20 years, they probably deserve to be taken over by somebody like Mike Ashley. Um, and I don't know. You know, I think there's every chance of them be, becoming competitive with Celtic uh, quite soon because it's not as though Celtic are a, you know, a Manchester City type operation, you know, who, who are who've got like two ranks of the of the best talent in their squad. They're not. Celtic are a real shoestring operation too. They they've been cruising to the league title because the you know all the other clubs are tiny. Um I could see Rangers even under a kind of an Ashley type yellow pack regime quite quickly becoming competitive with Celtic and you know maybe that's what maybe that's what Scottish football needs. Two stingy parsimonious uh outfits battling each other and both of them just stingy enough that maybe a third team can, from time to time, get involved. That might actually lead to having quite an interesting league again. Chelsea against Man City is on Saturday evening. This is the 5.30 kickoff, Ken. The title decider, I'm going to call it this early. Oh, I'm yeah. not sure what Sky are bidding it as just yet. Or is it even a Sky game? I'm always getting mixed up. Uh, it is Sky, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very quick prediction on that one before we go. I think it'll be a draw. Yeah, high yeah. score draw. Chelsea, I think Chelsea go for the draw. I mean, Costa's probably not going to be there. I think I don't think Mourinho will feel that confident about winning the game, but he'll feel very confident about being able to draw the game. You can check out, do. yeah, you can check out our other show today, US Murph, with his Super Bowl preview, among other things. Also, a quick word, just uh, I didn't get a chance to mention this on the first program, so I'm going to throw it in here again. It's not strictly football, but uh, it's rugby football. Mm-hmm. William Webb Ellis, all of that. Oh yeah, the grand game. Picked he up picked the up the ball and ran. <laughs> picked up the ball and ran. Uh, if you are a rugby fan, um, and more important, if you're a fantasy rugby fan, the Irish Times Six Nations Fantasy site is up and running. It's ready to go. IrishTimes.com forward slash fantasy rugby. So it's an easy one to get involved in there if you want to do that. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening to this podcast. Thank you. Hmm, I'll thank you first, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Michel. Uh, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Uh, merci, Michel. Take care. Merci thanks for listening. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.